All right, everybody. Hi. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Thank you guys for being here. It is 3.15. This is that time of the day where you realize, man, I was ambitious to wake up so early and go to so many sessions, and it's yes. just Wednesday. It's the front end of the program, and I already could use a nap. But you guys, instead of napping, you are here, and we thank you so much for being here. My name is Jacob Parnell, and I'm the preaching minister at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ in Livermore, California, which is uh, east of the Bay Area. It's about five hours from here. And uh, this is my buddy Kyle Sapp. Hello. Talk about yourself. Okay. Uh, I'm the preaching minister for the Cordova Church of Christ in Sacramento, California, which is north of here, which is that that way? Mm-hmm. Sure, let's go that way. I drove that way at one point, so that's where I'm going yeah, so when I get back. back. When you leave. This is why I have a map app. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's who I am. <laughs> uh, and Kyle and I were just a couple of preachers, and we love doing projects together. We got the opportunity to put this class together. We said, let's take two of the most broad and complex topics that we can, the Holy Spirit and music, and try to boil it down to 60 minutes. And I think that we've nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Uh, Again, very, very broad ideas, but we hope the things that we share with you this morning will provoke some thoughts and give you some some tools. Oh, see, we're already off to a bad start. I don't even know what time of day it is. It's morning somewhere. Okay. It's morning. We're glad that you guys are here, and we hope that you'll walk away with something that can be useful in your your church or your personal ministry or just a better understanding about this, this beautiful, mysterious gift of music and of the Holy Spirit, and kind of how they work together. So we wanted to begin by introducing three of the themes that we're going to be touching on uh, with three different experiences. One of them is a song, the second one is a story, and then the third one is another song. So song, story, song, is how we're going to start out today. And I need your help with this first song. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't, but even if you don't, you can pick it up because it's relatively easy. The song that we're all going to sing together goes a little something like this. But what I can see is that there were people walking past and stopping and going, what in the world is going on in that classroom? And then they decided not to come in. (laughs) Bonus points. Can anybody name the title of that song and the artist of that song? Yes. Yes. Gary Glitter. Yes. Wow. Okay, the artist is Gary Glitter. And for those of you who are not initiated... This is what Gary Glitter looks like. <laughs> He's a British glam rock artist from the 70s. Uh, and the title of that song, anybody know? Hey. Doctor Who. Doctor Who, hey. Rock and roll part two. Oh, my wow. goodness. You guys get the points together. That's exactly right. The song, we, I grew up knowing it as the hey song. Like you sing it at pep rallies and pep band and that kind of thing. 
But the actual title of that song is Rock and Roll Part 2. And it was the B-side of this oh. single that was released by Gary Glitter. Can you guess the name of the A-side of the Rock single? Rock and Roll Part 1. Rock and Roll Part 1. You guys know more about Gary Glitter than you realize. You should look it up. Rock and Roll Part 1 is very similar in tune to what we just sang. But it has words and it goes, Rock and Roll. Rock and roll, rock and roll. <laughs> it's very catchy, very campy, but you gotta give it up to a guy who will wear this on stage. Get everybody together. This will all make sense why we're talking about this in a moment, but next, the story that I promised you. So here's Kyle with the story. You know, when we were rehearsing this last night, I forgot how much fun this was gonna be. <laughs> Followed that up. I was in seventh grade. And in seventh grade, it's a big year. I grew up in the Church of Christ, so you know what seventh grade is. It's the first year you can go to youth group. <laughs> and our church put on a big youth rally called Youth in Action. It was in, bless you, it was in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. It was at the Birmingham Civic Center, across from the Sheraton Hotel. I got to go and stay, bless you, stay in this fantastically nice hotel without my mom. It was wonderful. So uh, one of the nights uh, in that week we would gather in the atrium of the Sheraton Hotel. And if you've ever been to the Sheraton Hotel in Birmingham, if it's even still around, I haven't been back to the South in a long time. Uh, also, roll tide. Um, it's like 100 stories tall when you're in seventh grade. Uh, it's probably only like 12. But I remember it being just so massively tall. And all of the teenagers there would gather in the atrium lobby section, standing on their different rows, and we would start to sing. It's on Facebook. It's on Facebook. Before there was Facebook, we were doing this. And, and so what I remember is that about that is standing in, in like the bottom part and listening to these, the thousands of teenagers singing and the echoes bouncing off the walls and swirling around each other. And, and this was the first moment in my life that I recall feeling awe, wonder, and peace thought, man, this, this has got to be what heaven is like. So I want you to close your eyes. <coughs> this may not be true for everybody, but do you have a moment like that? Do you have a place in your mind's eye where you can go, a memory? Is a song connected to it? What's your feeling with this place? The power and the wonder of music is that for so many of us, we have this experience. You can open your eyes now. It's three in the afternoon. You can't keep those too close for too long. <laughs> this is something that music does universally. It transports us into this other reality. We're going to talk a little bit more about why that is, but... Because it's a class about music, we thought we can't just talk about music. We've got to sing about it. We've got to sing it. And we've invited our good friend Ken, who sings like an angel with a beard, uh, to lead us in a song. So, uh, Maybe angels with beards. Uh, sure. <laughs> oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all. I see the stars, I 
start with illustrate three points that we're wanting to make, three themes that we're going to be touching on in this session. Singing the Gary Glitter song together is going to be pointing out the fact that both music and the Holy Spirit have this unique and intentional power to unite people. Um, Kyle's story, talking about his experience in the atrium of music having this ability to transport you to another place is another thing that we're going to be focusing in on. I'll talk about this a little bit later on. Uh, how music and the Holy Spirit have this ability to transport us and to paint this picture of, of, of something that is other than what we're experiencing right now. And then singing How Great Thou Art together, Kyle's going to be focusing in in the first half of our time on just a lot of the things that we don't realize is going on with our body, with this gift of music that God has given us. He's going to be talking a lot about the brain and what's going on in our brains when we experience, when we create, when we participate together in music. So uh, we have three goals for this session, too, that we wanted to point out at the beginning. One of them, if you guys walk away here with a, a better understanding of the impact that music has on us, then we will have succeeded. I mean, I think if you asked everybody, is music important? People say, like, yes. Uh, or is music a part of your life? Yes, of course. We can all agree to that. But maybe we don't realize just the scope of how much music impacts us. So we're going to hopefully focus in on that have a better understanding by the end of our time. And then I'm going to hopefully, uh, my goal for my sections is going to be to make these couple connections between music and the Holy Spirit. Again, two very broad topics, but in two specific areas that I'll talk about in a little bit. And then at the end of our time, we're going to give you some takeaways, some things that, it, these are all just great ideas to experience together, to think about. But then for us, what we've taken with this information and said, how can this impact our lives? What can we do with this as we go back home? So we're going to share those with you, too. I'm going to turn it over to Kyle, and he's going to talk about uh, music and its effect on the individual. And then I'm going to come back a little bit later and talk more about uh, music and its effect on our experience in community. So, Kyle. Thanks, buddy. I'm in. So I'm a singer. Uh, I sing. I'm the guy that sings about everything he does. I walk in a living musical, and it's wonderful. I'm not always the main character. I'm, uh, I'm humble enough to be like a sidekick, and I'm okay with that. I'm like Robin, and everyone needs a Robin. Um, I sing about my cats. I sing about my son. I sing about my son and my cats. Uh, recently, as of yesterday, my son wrote a song about our cats, and I've never been more proud. Um, it is nonsensical, according to my wife, but then she said, so are all of yours, so it works. <laughs> Um, I 
oftentimes will walk down the street, this is a true fact, uh, with a song in my head as my background music, because I think everyone deserves background music. My particular one, and you're welcome to borrow it, is the theme to Sanford and Sons. Mm. <laughs> I challenge you to be in a bad mood singing that song in your head, you know? Bum, bum, bana. Bum, bum, bana, bum. It's just, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's heavenly. <laughs> Recently, as in a couple of years ago, um, I also developed a fondness and a love of the brain. Mm. I find it to be a marvelous organ machine thing. I'm not smart enough to be a neurologist, so I just read books and articles about it, and it hurts my head, because again, not that smart. But I sit in awe of this thing that God has created and woven together that's in our, in our head place. I want to know how it ticks and why it does the things that it does. I started this journey uh, when I was a youth minister in uh, Antioch, California, home of the Fighting Irish. And that's actually not true. I don't remember what their message is. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I was a youth minister, and, and I thought, I want to know how a teenage brain works, which everyone has asked that question at some point in their life. I can now tell you with absolute certainty that I don't have any idea how it works. But I do know that it looks cool nonetheless. But then, as we were talking about this, I started wondering, I was like, what does music do to the brain? How does it impact it? And it impacts it in some marvelous ways. Um, a famed neurologist and also tennis enthusiast, I imagine, named Oliver Sacks, notes that more of the brain is involved in perception and response to music than to language or anything else. It is almost as if God wired us to be musical. And so here are a couple of things that happen to your brain when it listens to music. Uh, one, they've noted that uh, continuous uh, listening to music and practicing of music will actually physically change your brain. A 2000 study from the Heidelberg University observed that the brain of a musician has more gray matter uh, than the brain of a non-musician. The gray matter, as opposed to white matter, includes the regions that involve muscle control, <laughs> sensory perception, memory, emotion, speech, decision-making, and self-control. Oh, oh. And here's what they noted. Musicians have uh, somewhere between 536 to 983 cubic millimeters of gray matter. The amateur musicians, people who are not professionals, had a range of 198 to 798 cubic millimeters. And then your non-musicians had somewhere between 172 to 598. Now, it's not saying too much, because there are still ranges, but it is interesting to note that people who are constantly surrounded by music, their brains are more efficient at motor skills, at memory, uh, at language development, so forth and so on. Another team from a university in Finland, whose name I will not even bother trying to pronounce, uh, made the observation that there is a larger corpus callosum in the brains of musicians, that's this little thing right here, uh, than in non-musicians. And this is the part of the brain that connects your right and left hemispheres. And they noted that musicians' brains move more uh, syn syncratically. Is that a word? Socratic method. That's not it either. <laughs> uh, it moves more in sync. It works more efficiently together. Music physically changes our brains. And then another thing that music does is it actually affects our hormone levels. Uh, st studies have shown that it will decrease the levels of cortisol in the brain, which will lower stress. 
It will then increase dopamine production. This is our, our hormone that motivates us and makes us feel hopeful and says that life has meaning and value. And then finally, it, when people are experiencing live music together or they're actually singing together, say like in a church or in your car with friends on your way to Pepperdine, your brain is producing oxytocin. And oxytocin is the hormone that builds bonds and trust between individuals. And that's going to have a major impact later on. So these... Uh, these physical experiences, they, I mean, they're so marvelously wonderful because they make our brain more efficient. Music makes us better people. And we're going to look at two ways it does that. It improves the way we learn and it improves our emotional intelligence. Now, Arden Shore did a, did a presentation called Unlocking Music. And he noted that, that practicing and studying music has a couple of improvements for the brain. It makes it more efficient in processing sounds and distinguishing one thing from the other, uh, absorbing information. So uh, the more music you listen to, if you're a mother, for instance, you have the ability to listen to your child while 30 other things are going on at the same time. As a dad, I've gotten really good at listening to nothing, so that works out really well for me and my marriage. <laughs> uh, it helps you multitask, improves the brain's ability to multitask, it improves the brain's ability for language learning, uh, and it improves our working memory. And this stuff is fascinating for me. See, because the way that working memory works in the brain is that uh, it, it, it groups things and patterns and similarities, and that's, that's how it makes space. And so familiarity breeds smaller and smaller groupings, and so music could work like, uh, like this. So for instance... Uh, if you are, uh, depending on how familiar you are with this little couple of lines, your brain might process this in, in a couple of categories. Uh, so if you're pretty familiar with the line and the songs, you know, you might sing, uh, you might sing it, you know, His love endures forever, our God and King, give thanks to the Lord. You, you might have that song in your head. I don't because that's just how that works, but I did last night. Uh, if, you're, if you're not super familiar with, with the, the lines, you might group this into 13 groups, and that's the number of words. If you don't really understand the English language, uh, your brain will put it into 53 groups, and that's the number of letters. And so familiarity, connection to music, these things help us learn. We've all actually known this, though, right? Everyone who has ever been in second grade in the Church of Christ has experienced this when it comes to the books of the New Testament, right? Every time I turn to the book of the New Testament, subconsciously, I'm singing, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts and the letters of the Romans. Oh, you can keep going, it's fine. <laughs> and then when someone tells me to turn into a book in the Old Testament, we all know the song we sing, it's turn to the table of contents and look it up. <laughs> I know there's actually an Old Testament song, but nobody taught it to me, so... That's what life is. But, but that music, that song, helped me learn something. That even to this day, I do it unconsciously. Like, you don't have to ask me to sing that song. I just know it. It never leaves my mind. It's because music makes our brains more efficient. And in that efficiency, we become better learners. We grow in knowledge, and our shape, our spiritual form, is strengthened. So we're going to pause here. We're going to sing two more verses of that wonderful song that we started with. Ken?
Let's just have the ladies sing this verse. <coughs> Soprano and alto. <coughs> when through the woods and forests perceive, understand, and manage your own emotions as well as the emotions of others. Emotional intelligence includes the following things, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. I want to talk a little bit about how music helps us in these areas. Uh, Self-awareness is essentially knowing yourself, knowing how you feel, why you feel this way, you know, if you think about your feelings, feelings are, on some levels, um, ways in which we appraise situations. And we have feelings, and those feelings are usually linked to beliefs or connected to some kind of object or experience. I am afraid of X because I had this experience of X, and now I am afraid of it. I have, I am happy when I have Y in my life because I had an experience with Y, and that made me feel good, and I was safe, etc., etc., etc. You know, when you... When you listen to music, you experience a feeling. Some songs are happy. Some chords are not as happy. Some songs make you angry. 
Some songs make you all of those things and then some. We love and hate those songs because they're exhausting to listen to. But, but music allows this kind of safe space for us to get in touch with our emotions, to know ourselves, to learn about how we tick and why we respond in the ways we respond. And the more that you know yourself, the more familiar you are, then that gives you the ability for self-management, which is essentially just discipline and control. I know a lot of people who are not controlled with their emotions, me being one of them. And I know a lot of people who are afraid of their emotions. And they're rock-hard robots. And they refuse to get into like, any kind of deeper feeling because they just haven't had enough experiences with them. But see, when you are familiar with yourself, when you are familiar with your emotions, when you know how you feel and why you feel, you are more able to be in control of yourself in those emotions. Because, you know, we all get hurt. We all get angry. We all get sad. We all get joyful. God wired us this way. But he did not wire us to be kind of tossed and turned because emotions are fleeting. They're not always consistent. So the better you know yourself the better you are at being controlled. And the better you are at being controlled, I think this also helps us understand other people better. This is about what empathy is like. Being able to identify and appreciate my own emotions that I experience help me identify and appreciate someone else's emotions that I'm experiencing as they are experiencing life with me. And here's why I think this is so very needed. Uh, don't read anything into this. Uh, within the church, again, not reading into anything or saying anything about my context, just thinking about this in a completely non-contextual void, I have noticed that there is a pattern where something will happen to someone. Someone will do something to someone. And they will instantly jump to the why that person did it. And it's always personal, and it's always insulting, and it's always intentional. You ever had this feeling? You ever talk to somebody who's 50, but they're acting like they're 12? Mm -hmm. They did this. Why'd they do that? Well, they meant to do that. Do you know that they meant to do that? Why do you think that they meant to do that? We jump to motives. And we always, we often, we don't always, but we often assume the worst in people's motives. And yet, when we do something, we always want to give ourselves grace because we understand our intentions. <laughs> Music, I, I think, actually can help create social cohesion and can help us understand that Sometimes somebody wronging me was not an intentional wrong. Sometimes a person feels the way they feel, and I can understand and appreciate that. It's not saying that I don't think that they overreacted, but I can at least understand that we all overreact sometimes. And we all underreact sometimes. And then that leads us to the final part of emotional intelligence, and that is relational management. See, community is strengthened when its parts have a deeper understanding of each other. Because the more you understand somebody, I think the more capable you are, at least ideally, of trusting them. And the more that somebody understands you, ideally, assuming that you're a trustworthy person, the more capable we, I am of trusting you. And if we trust each other, we are honest, we are authentic, we are safe, and that creates cohesion. And music gets to do that. We get to do that with each other in, in ways that just talking about life, I just can't do it as well as music can. 
And that's what Jacob is going to um, turn to. But first, because I believe in finishing things, we have to finish uh, the song with one last verse. So this will be Ken's final moment with us, and then he must head out. We thank him for his wonderful voice. Hmm. Let's sing this last verse together. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Amen. Thanks, Ken. Just out of curiosity, did anybody count the letters to make sure it was 53? When Kyle said that it was 53 letters. Congratulations, you it might be was. one on the Enneagram. Gram. Uh, yeah, I kind of was talking about how our understanding of music affecting the individual, how that leads to impacting the community. That's where I kind of want to pick things up by pointing out two things, two correlations between the experience of music and the work of the Holy Spirit. One is the power to unite. Number two is the ability to transport us to a new reality. Let's start by talking about unity. As we experienced with our Gary Glitter song at the beginning of our session together today, music has this ability to bring people together, to unite us around a common cause. We were all singing the song together. We were sharing the rhythm, even if there's not any, there's one word to that song, it's hey. The rest of it we were singing and doing together. Music can do this. And we see, if we look in scripture, that this is one of the Holy Spirit's roles as well. Look at John 17. This is a verse that, was it Christine Kane? She looked at this chapter. Jesus, with his final moments before his arrest, he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for unity. He's praying for the Spirit to come and do this and that for them. And in chapter 17, he says, Father, my prayer for these believers here and the future believers is what? That they might be one. one. Just as you and I are one. one. United together of same mind and purpose. Acts chapter 2, you might know what happened there. At Pentecost, while they're gathering and they're meeting together, this wind blows through the house, tons of fire come down, the Holy Spirit is received, people walking by, kind of like people walk by our class, and we're like, what in the world is going on in there? I said, wow, that's strange, because those people are unified. And I can even understand what they're saying, even though they're from Galilee and I'm from Persia or wherever. This is a strange thing. This is something the Holy Spirit does. It unifies people. Paul talks about this a lot in Ephesians. If you're interested in Ephesians, you should go to Bobby Valentine's session tonight and tomorrow night and Friday night uh, at 9 o'clock. You can look that up in your schedule. But in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of 
the spirit, through the bond of peace. This is an important thing for him, for the church to be unified, but not by itself, through the work of the spirit. I think we would all agree that unity is something that is important, and it's also something that, something that we're a little short on in our Christian communities. It's something that we can quickly jettison for things that we deem to be more important. But there's always room for more unity, to tear down walls that are keeping people from conversations they need to have or from reconciling even brothers and sisters in the church community. I mean, if we're part of the restoration movement, that's how it got started, right? Somebody saying, like, why are we all these different churches? Like, you're down with Jesus, I'm down with Jesus, you're okay if we don't have a pope, I'm okay if you don't have a pope, let's get together and do something. This is what we were born of. Is this desire to, instead of letting things divide us, bring us together on some common ground. Unity is something we need to strive for, and it's one of the goals of the Spirit. Music can help us with this. I want to show you a clip here. Um, this is a video. Somebody just mounted a camera on a stage before a Green Day concert. This was in 2015. This is Hyde Park, London. 65,000 people are attending this concert. The concert hasn't even started yet, but what, what's going on? What song are they singing? Yeah. sympathy. So these are 65,000 strangers coming to see a concert that hasn't even started yet. Over the loudspeaker comes a very popular, a very satisfying song by Queen called Bohemian Rhapsody. And these people sing every single word together. Every word. They even sing the guitar solos of this. This is just a recording. Look, at they're cheering for themselves because they sang the first section. We're not going to, sadly, we're not going to watch the whole video. But when I saw this, I watched the entire six and a half minute video and I was just like, delighted. It was this wonderful thing. They're clapping when it's over. They're celebrating. They get to the, mamma mia, mamma mia, let me go. They're having a blast. And they're united. They are brought together. And even on its like surface level, at its most basic level, this is a pretty cool thing that happens. 65,000 strangers gather around the love that they have for the same song, and they have a chance to belt it out together. I would guess that for several people at that concert, depending on how much they like Green Day, that might have been the highlight of their evening, is singing together. But I think that there's something deeper going on here than just something that's fun, coincidental, maybe something like a flash mob. What they did musically actually points to the unity that God desires for his creation. Let me substantiate that a little bit. Paul speaks of this unity and music's relationship to it in Ephesians chapter 5. This is a section of scripture that you probably heard before, and here it comes again. It says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then from there, it goes on, husbands and wives, this is mutual submission, this is what it looks like for you, slaves, masters, parents, children. We're familiar with this, right? Well, some people have looked at this passage, and they have interpreted it, and then applied it in their churches to where it goes something like this. They're saying, man, this is Paul, and he's writing a letter to the church. Maybe he's running out of room on his parchment. So he's like, here's some, here's some rules. Here's some instructions that i got to make sure to give you. And they break it down like this. Uh, these are Paul's instructions. One, don't get drunk. That's bad. 
but instead be filled with the Spirit. If you want to get intoxicated by something, get filled up with the Spirit. That's instruction number one. And then we have speak to each other with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Make that music in your heart, guys, not from your piano. Yeah, that was a big issue in the first century is uh, people coming into church with their electric guitars, right? So then point number three, and don't forget to give thanks for everything. And now you should submit to one another with instructions following slaves, masters, husbands, wives, etc. That's how some people have interpreted this. Which, I mean, if this keeps you from, from getting drunk, then <laughs> good. I'm, I'm glad, these instructions. But in an article by Stephen Guthrie called The Wisdom of Song, and if you want this article from me, I'm happy to email it to you. Come and talk to me afterward, because I think it makes some really interesting <coughs> observations. Uh, Stephen Guthrie points out that the, the only command that's listed here is this one. Be filled with the Spirit. The Greek word there is pleirousthe. It is a passive verb, so not fill something, but be filled with it. And it's a command. Be filled by the Spirit. And all these other things that come after it, they're participles, which means that they are, uh, what's it called? Subordinate clauses. I wrote it down. So that I would say it correctly. Just they, they support it. Exactly. Be filled with the Spirit, and here's how. You speak to one another in Psalms. Uh, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts, giving thanks and submitting to one another. All of these pointing back to the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So maybe this is a better way of looking at it. Paul's instruction is to be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, here's how. And notice in the things that follow how much of a role music plays in there. There's hymns and there's songs and we're supposed to be singing to each other. And even the mutual submission that he calls us to points to a musicality. Some people think like, oh, it's interesting that Paul talks about singing and hymns, and you know, that's just something that he threw in there. It's not really related to the Holy Spirit. Guthrie, I'm convinced, says it is related. It goes along with how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Music in this unique way can help us do that. Think about it. Think about what happens when you sing together with a group of people. There's this mutual submission that automatically happens. There's a synchronicity. We all have to stay in time together, like we did with Gary Glitter, like we did with How Great Thou Art. We have to submit to a common tempo, to the musical structure, to the same words, like in the Bohemian Rhapsody illustration. The same rhythm, the same melody, the same key. We can't be switching keys partway through, going rogue and like, hey, I'm going to jack this up a couple tones. No, we stay together. There's this natural mutual submission that we all agree to without even having to speak a word about it. And what if we harmonize? Something special is happening when a harmony hits us, too. There's another theologian and classical music composer named Jeremy Begbie. He's this British guy. He wrote a really thick book. I recommend his YouTube videos because he summarizes his book really well. His book is kind of long and uh, kind of dry. Uh, but I would recommend him. And he gives this illustration about harmony and about the way that music has this unique ability that some of our other senses don't. Like, uh, Justin, give me your name tag here for a second. And I'm also going to borrow your phone. Um, let's move your room key. All right, so what color is this? And what color is this? Black. When it comes to your field of vision, this is taking out part of your field of vision. Like you're seeing partly blue and you're seeing partly black. What happens if I do this? And I move the black so that it's behind the blue. You don't see the black anymore, right? Right. Okay, so, and then same sort of thing. The blue or the black now obstructs the blue. That's how our visual senses work. And you might say, well, yeah, but if this was transparent, then you would see it and it would be like a darker blue. But still, 
the black would be changed and the blue would be changed. You might be able to see them both, but they're not what they were when they started. Music and the way our hearing works is very different. He points out that, like, let's say somebody plays a note on a piano. Ding! You're hearing that. It takes up your whole field of view, your field of sound, so to speak. But let's say you play a second note, like a third or a fifth. You're starting to make a chord. Two notes at the same time. You hear the first one, you hear the second one, but they don't negate each other. They're still, they maintain their originality, but they also come together to create something that wasn't there before. Something new and unique. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't work in the visual world, but in, in the way that we process sounds, that can actually happen. And I think if I had another hour, I would just talk about the implications for that, because I think that says something about how we're supposed to be in the church, how the body is supposed to function. I'm an individual. I'm an individual. We come together. We don't sacrifice our individuality, but we come together and we form the body. And it's unique every time a new voice, a new person, a new personality is added. Are there implications there for the Trinity? Two, and understanding the three persons of God that are three and distinct but still one. I'm excited. Kyle's going to actually be talking about the Trinity in a class he's doing on Friday. So look that up and go uh, sit in with Kyle. He'll answer all your questions. I ask all the questions and he solves all the problems. He has to do all the heavy lifting. I love friendship. Me too. I think this is intentional here. Paul's connection between being filled with the Spirit unity that the spirit desires and music and how it plays a role in that music singing enacting a song mutual submission these are all ways to be filled with the holy spirit and we probably never realized that all that was going on when we stand at the seventh inning stretch and saying take me out to the ball game well this unity that the spirit creates and calls the church to strive for i also think prefigures god's new creation it's like a rehearsal of things that God has already accomplished, but we have yet to fully experience. And that's the second thing I wanted to focus on, is that the Holy Spirit and music's ability to transport us to a completely different place. I talked about the new creations and something that we believe has happened in Christ, but that we can't fully realize just yet. And describing this already but not yet state that we find ourselves in, N.T. Wright says this, Love is the language they speak in the new creation, and we get to learn it now. It's like this glimpse of something that's to come, but we don't have to wait for it. We can catch glimpses of it here and there. We can experience it now. The Holy Spirit is facilitating a unity in the church that we understand will be the norm at the coming of the new creation and the restoration of all things. Jeremy Begbie, that British guy that I told you about earlier, puts it like this. He says, we are going to suggest that the Spirit's role in creation at large is to bring about in the world what has already been achieved in Christ, and in so doing, to anticipate the final recreation of all things. It is the Spirit's role as life giver and transformer to bring about, here and now among us, the conditions of the new age in advance of its final and full coming. It's a lot of words to say what I think this last line sums up. The Spirit previews the future. John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says this, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The New Living Translation translates that last part. He will tell you about the future. I'm sure you all could name a song that is nostalgic 
for you. My wife and I went on YouTube the other night. We were looking at Millie Vanilli songs, and those music videos, and it was like, man, I was transported back to 1988. That's awesome. If I'm rehearsing a song with Kyle that we're going to perform on a stage, or if you've ever been in a musical, you can practice the song, and you can think about what it might be like in the future, and it can transport you to a future time. But what about the experiences of music and the Holy Spirit that can actually preview for us something that we believe is true, but we haven't experienced yet. We have yet to experience, but that we hunger and that we long for. Those are exciting ideas. Music has the ability to give us the experience now of something that will become more realized and complete in the future. It's like it can transport us to another place. And a really cool example of how music can do this is found in one of my favorite movies, The Shawshank Redemption. It's just from the 90s. It's about a man who's in prison. He tries to keep his sanity by developing hobbies and uh, his name's Andy Dufresne. And one day, he gets the opportunity to take a record and to play some music for the entire prison yard. And I want to show you this clip here for just a moment, because it really illustrates this point well. Check it out. Make sure this is it. tell you those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a great place dares to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our dragon's cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man at Shawshank felt free. 
that last line, he says, it was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. I think similarly, the Holy Spirit flies into our lives and gives us a glimpse of what we're made for, what we're designed for. And if we have opportunities to experience this unity that we're headed toward, uh, we, can, we should hold on to those, capitalize on those, and even create those. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But let's go to some takeaways, some things that we've learned from this study that we want to share with you and that might help you as well. All right, takeaway numero uno. I think we should consider music to be a spiritual discipline or a spiritual exercise. We talk about spiritual disciplines, you know, read your Bible, pray. Uh, if some of us are more liturgical, fast, maybe. Uh, but, but, but music has this way of affecting our souls, and I think that that means that music has a, becomes a spiritual exercise for us. We grow when we are musical. And, you know, I think this is why we need to have hymns that have a deeper theology than some of our hymns have. For, for instance, uh, on Twitter recently, the world was a Twitter over the song uh, Reckless Love. And some were wondering, like, wait, is God's love reckless? Isn't it more intentional? It's not out of control. So people are engaging this concept, like thinking about the nature of God himself because of the song. Uh, for me, this always happens when we sing in Christ alone, and, and it says the wrath of God was satisfied. And it's like, well, to what degree was God's wrath satisfied? Is that true? Is that biblical? Where do we come uh, to those conclusions? Like, I think about that as I'm singing this song. And as we're singing these songs, we're feeling these feelings. And sometimes we're feeling that joy. My hope is found, and, and sometimes we're, we're feeling sorrow as Jesus hangs on the cross. But the point of all of this is to say that music belongs in your life. You cannot grow as much as God wants you to grow if you are not constantly surrounding yourself with music. And that's beyond just one Sunday. It's also, it's just as a preacher, um, I want to make sure that what we do on Sundays is not just listen to me talk but that we sing as much as we can. Because I don't want people just to learn words. I want people to be compelled. I want people to be compelled to praise God. I want Christians to be compelled to mourn when they need to mourn. I want them just to be compelled to do something besides just show up at our church once a week. I want people to be compelled, and that happens when we sing good music together. And the second thing that uh, this leads for me is we need to create intimate worship experiences. We need to feel... We are a very right-brain fellowship with our history. We need to feel. We need to value feelings. And not a lot of people do. But I would argue that if God gave you feelings, that Adam and Eve felt things when they were together, and it wasn't like they stepped out of the garden after seeing like, oh man, now I feel things. No, they felt before. It was joy. It was wonderful. It was bliss. It was awesome. Then they felt shame. That's a whole other thing. We need to create intimate places where people can feel, safe places where they can engage those emotions. And my buddy Michael uh, Whitworth points out that you cannot really emotionally engage each other in a giant auditorium, but you can in smaller groupings. And I'm not saying we should throw out giant auditoriums or stop meeting together on Sundays. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is that we need to make space where we are with other people 
and we are singing, and we are feeling. And it's not just happiness that we need to feel. Sorrow. It's anger. It's frustration. I mean, you can't look at the world and not feel frustrated by the fact that Jesus hasn't returned. At least I can't. It really frustrates me. And I remember that God moves in his own timing, years like a thousand days or whatever, and like, okay, God knows what he's doing. But I'm still really frustrated, and God's okay with that because he's bigger than my feelings. You are allowed, by the way, to feel how you feel when you feel. But the more we experience those feelings, the better we get to understand them. And I really do believe that our church services and our intimate feelings need to have a variety of the emotional range. And it can be at the same time in the same song. 2010, March, we sang Blessed Be Your Name at the end of our church service. And the reason I remember this song, and the reason I remember the day, is because the day before this church service, our worship minister had passed away, and I was leading singing for the third time in my life. And I hate leading singing, by the way. At least I did then. And I remember singing that last line, you give and take away, you give and take away, my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. In the midst of all of the feelings of joy that God is who God is, sorrow that I've lost a mentor, frustration and fear, all of those things are happening at once in this one song. Because that's the human experience, and we are not doing our church members, our friends, a service if we don't allow them to feel and say, you are allowed to feel how you feel when you feel. And that is done in worship. Amen. And that's all I have. Jacob's going to take us home. Uh, my take, one of my takeaways is uh, appreciate the unifying work that God does through music. Just appreciating it. Noticing it. This is confession time now for me. Uh, and this doesn't leave this room, please, by the way. It's being the confession is... <laughs> My confession... <laughs> well, my confession is that I hate the happy birthday song. Uh, I don't like the song. With extreme prejudice, I think it's a lazy song. I think it's sad that our culture has kind of acquiesced into like, making that be our default celebration song. And I could go on. And Kyle's heard me go off. My wife has heard me go off on how much I don't like this song. Uh, to the point where my last two birthdays, my, my wife and my family said, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, doesn't matter. i tell you what I don't want. Do not sing to me the happy birthday song. And they said, are you serious? I said, I'm very serious. Don't sing me that song. So they agreed. And uh, two years ago, I had my birthday party at a pizza place. So my friends got together ahead of time and they learned a Weezer song. And they sang that. And it, instead of the song titled, My Name is Jonas, they said, My Name is Jacob. And they changed the words and... This was great because I didn't want to hear that song. I said, sing any other song, and they did. So that was great. And then last year, my daughters around a birthday cake, they made up a song. I think it was made up on the spot. And I love it because I don't care for the happy birthday song. I have an attitude about the happy birthday song. When people start singing it, I'm like, oh, this sounds so good. Nobody sings it well. It's repetitive and stupid and bad. Man. That's my heart toward the happy birthday song. But what this is maybe helping me realize a little bit more, is like, maybe I should just appreciate the fact that people are gathering together and they're mutually submitting to one another and there's something to be said about the work of the Spirit in this moment. It's something that brings strangers together, maybe in a, a Red Robin dining room or co-workers around a conference room table. There's something that's greater than my preferences for one song or another going on here. 
This is my confession, but I think you could extend this, that we often confess. There's certain times in church where we're like, I don't like this album. This album no fun. We sing it too much. And that our hearts are revealed. If I'm convicted by this, maybe, maybe you could be too. Uh, the last thing is use music to unite people. Don't just appreciate when it happens, but make it happen. In the same article that I told you about, Stephen Guthrie gives an example of a committee in a church that he was on. And he said he hated these committee meetings because the people were always at odds with each other. There was tension even going into the meetings. Can you guess what kind of committee this was in a church? Worship, yes. worship committee. Exactly right. And he was one of the worship leaders. And he said it was just terrible. And he dreaded going to these meetings. And he had an idea one day. He said, let's start off the meeting. We're sitting across the table from each other. There's already tension. Let's sing a hymn. Let's worship together. And as they mutually submitted to each other and they blended their voices and they sang good theology and lifted up praise to Jesus Christ, the Savior and the Redeemer. So the tension was less. He said it didn't solve all their problems. There were still things to be worked out among these personalities, but it definitely set a good tone and it brought them to a good start for a place of unity. I thought, well, it's just crazy enough it might work. Maybe I'll try that sometime. Create these opportunities in your, your board meetings, in your leaders' meetings, in a conflict resolution meeting. Start by worshiping. <coughs> Become united through music. It doesn't even have to be where you're anticipating tension. It could be when you sit down to work on a budget as a family. Sing a song before you do that mm. and watch what happens. And you might be thinking, I'm not going to do that. That's strange and irregular. But the Holy Spirit's kind of strange and irregular, too, in the way that he works. So maybe... Give it a try. Um, normally, at the end of these kinds of things, we, we take questions, but that's usually when somebody is an expert <laughs> and has long studied and examined these things and goes like, oh, yes, I thought oh, that's a great question, and I'm going to tell you about this. That's not me. So uh, I'm not going to take any questions. <laughs> at the end. But I do want us to close. If you have comments, you can definitely come and talk to me. I'll write my email on the board, and you can uh, request that article that if you want me to send that to you. But let's close by standing together, joining in a song that glorifies the Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here